Let me start with the Transcontinental Railroad by asking you this question. What do you remember about it from eighth grade? There's a golden spike. It went across the country. It went across the country. They ran people off of their land? What people? Indigenous people, okay. It, Chinese immigrants helped build it. Let's explore a couple of these first. Uh, Chinese immigrants, would you remember anything about what it was like for them to help build it? Not good, so that's a good start. Why was it bad? Racism, yes, but. Okay. That works. Huh? Yeah. How about, so we'll, we'll talk a little more about that. That tells me what I need to know. How about the golden spike? How do they drive it? Not very well. It's true. So you remember the first one missed. Where did they drive it? Promontory what? Okay, good. So you know that. You at least know it wasn't primary promontory point. Um, and where is the spike now? No. No. So the president of one of the railroads was a dude named Leland Stanford, who started a university that he named after himself. That was a good one. Yeah, so it is at Stanford University. It's just in a corner. Like it's just sitting there in a corner and like nobody respects it or whatever. So there's, there's a fourth grade class that's trying to get it back in Utah to put it back in the national park, the Golden Spike National Park and maybe, or at least it's a lake or something. He's like, people here would appreciate it instead of just throwing it in the corner and being like, meh. Yeah, the founder of our university was some rich guy. Oh, good question. You can't actually drive a golden spike very well. Like they just kind of tap it in a little bit. So yeah, they, they replaced them immediately. And the golden spike wasn't the only one there. But so good, that gives me a good background. That gives me a good background. So I know where we're coming from and I know that what I've prepared is new information for you or at least mostly. So we're gonna start with the basics. You recognize this photograph, of course. We've looked at it a couple times ourselves and we'll look at it again, but not today. Let's start with why this was needed. So I've given you some information and I've given you two pictures of stagecoaches. But looking at these pictures, what would be uncomfortable about a stagecoach? Now, Hold this, I'm gonna show you two primary documents about coming across, well, two paragraphs from one primary document about coming across. So you don't wanna fill one up all the way or maybe draw an arrow and finish it up on the back of that paper. Um, Cause you're gonna get a lot of information coming right now. So looking at this, what would be wrong with going by stagecoach? It would be super uncomfortable. 
It is padded, sort of. Yeah, it's not, not padded very well for sitting for days at a time. Depending on how you go, by the way, you could take an overnight stage or you could um, just stop and spend the night at a hotel. Yeah. It is easy to rob. That's what, how did they prevent robberies? They did have some lock boxes. Not too effective. There's one that stays in your folklore. Your folk practices. Every day after school, when we go out to my cars, my two daughters, the first one that sets foot on the same surface as my car says what? So that they says shotgun. Yeah, that comes from this. Hey, so the person who sits on the one side, so you can see where the driver sits in that left picture, kind of up front, you see. That's where they go. So the driver sits on one side of that. The shotgun sits on the other side, and he's called that because he has a shotgun. His job is to shoot people if they try to rob the stage. Not super, super duper effective, but I mean better than nothing. Yeah. This is the Old West. This is the Old West. If you try to rob a stage and you get shot, they did not have any sympathy. Hey, um, it's also really cramped. So imagine spending 25 days in that much space with a whole bunch of strangers. Yeah, it doesn't fit a lot of stuff. You can see where the luggage goes. It doesn't fit much of your stuff. Okay, I'm going to show you two paragraphs from this. Edmund Hope Verney was a traveler who wrote a big, long thing about his journey across the western United States. You'll see uh, his attitudes in here a little bit. He was a bit racist. But go ahead, read this one, and make notes while they're in number one, or again, on the back would be fine. What, what made the journey difficult? So this isn't his first travel experience, but how does he feel about this one versus the others?
Well, that comes next. So here's the next one. Now, just a side note while you're writing this one, he's suggesting that Panama might be a better route. Um, to go through Panama at this time, the canal hadn't been built. You went down, you sailed down, hit the isthmus, and then you rode like a stagecoach across the isthmus, or you just walked across. Uh, the isthmus of Panama is about 30 miles, so it's not too crazy. Maybe it's 60. It's not too crazy. It is incredibly mountainous. Like you go really up and then down and it's full of like mosquitoes that give you malaria and kill you. So when he's anti-stagecoach, he's really anti-stagecoach. Hey, so this is crappy. How long does it take? Did you, did you catch that? At least 25 days, so it is not fun. It is not fun. You ever done a car trip with your family? Drove like eight hours a day for like two days and we're sick of it? Imagine 25 days. That's long. Now they really consider three routes. They considered more than this, but but these are the three big contenders. So let's start with that northern one. They didn't like the northern one because it doesn't go all the way back to the east. It doesn't go through the population centers. And because it ends up in Oregon territory, that's not where they want to go. They want to go to California because California has gold. They want to solidify uh, U.S. control of California. Um, how come they didn't choose the southern route? We, that's logical, but no, we had purchased the Gadsden Purchase, um, that southern part of Arizona, specifically to build a transcontinental railroad. It has to do with something else. When the South seceded, the North called for a vote on where you're going to go for the transcontinental railroad. They're like, if you guys aren't going to show up, we're just going to vote on it. So they voted for the, that kind of northern route there, the one that's the middle on this map. That's the thing, like, don't just refuse to show up. You lose your vote. Then they build the transcontinental railroad somewhere else. Now let me show you how they built this sucker. Because they don't really just have the money to build this directly. So 
So what they do is they take a section of land and they would divide it. They numbered it across and then back. So like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Right, and then they, they moved it that way. And then, of course, they built the railroad coming through. That's the railroad, you could tell because of these lines. My highly accurate and incredibly informative map. The railroad, if they built the transcontinental railroad, they got every other space in exchange. So you're the Union Pacific. That's not money. How can you turn that into money? Ah, good. Who would buy such a thing? People who want to move out west. Which would the, where would the best tracts of land be? Usually. Near the railroad. How come? Okay, let's say I'm going to build a restaurant. Did you shake your head no? I'm a good cook. Shut your, shut your mouth. <laughs> uh, say I'm going to build a restaurant. What do I want to build it by? Now it wouldn't be the railroad. Where would I build it now? I want to build it like on Main Street. You notice all of our restaurants all the older ones are on Main Street. All the newer ones are on uh, 11th South because that's where people go. Why wouldn't I just build one on like 5th West? That's not where the people are. I want to build it where the people are. The other place that would be really good is right by the interstate, especially if there's an exit there. So this is, this is where I'd build stuff. So it's the same thing with the railroad. If I build my my restaurant or my hotel or whatever by the railroad, then I would wonder why my phone is ringing because I forgot to turn it off. Eliza, after school when I'm looking for it, it's right there. Um, yeah, so they would sell these. This is how they funded the railroad. So Congress didn't really pay for it. They really made a deal with trading land for it. Did it work? Yes. Is that constitutional? Who controls interstate commerce by the terms of the Constitution? What branch of the government? You only have three choices. <laughs> it's not going to be, the, you're right, it's not going to be the judicial. So is it going to be the legislative? Is it going to be Congress or is it going to be the president? It's Congress. Yeah, Congress controls it. So can Congress do this? Yes, Congress absolutely can do this. And it's perfectly, perfectly constitutional. So it works. So they build, they build this sucker. That's how they paid for it, by selling this stuff. By the way, by the way, they do some other things. So like in Utah... Every, I can't remember what square number it is. I want to say it's 53, but I don't, I don't know. Every so many squares is the property of the schools. 
So they could build a school on it, but more often here, they rent it off to someone. Sometimes it's rented to some rancher, sometimes it's rented to someone for like a uranium mine, or there's some silver mines in Utah or whatever. And that's how we fund stuff. That's how we pay for your Chromebooks and some of the salaries of some of the people in the building. They call it trust lands money. It's public, you can Google it, find out what we spend trust lands money on. But you probably don't care. Oh, just a side note, this is the map in, go back, come on. This is the map in as it existed in, I wanna say 1910. So you can see that most of them are already taken, but there's a few spaces that, there's an X meaning the railroad owned it. And there's kind of a circle or a box if it was purchased. So you could see that most of it had been purchased by by 1910. Hey, they're going to go two different directions. This is one of the things you remembered. The Union Pacific versus the Central Pacific. And who built which part? Yeah, Union Pacific Railroad. But it doesn't matter, like, who actually did the building of each part? Uh, immigrants, especially from China. Yes. So on the Union Pacific side, so on the east side, it was mostly immigrants from Ireland. There were people from other European countries. They were coming from Eastern Europe by that point. But Ireland was a big thing. The reason is they'd had this potato famine. This disease had killed a lot of their potatoes, and so they moved here. So they used to say in the 1800s, they're like, what's the difference between the U.S. and Ireland? The U.S. has more Irishmen. <sighs> yeah, which was literally true, by the way. So they built a lot of it. Were people racist against Irish people? Yeah. Yes. Were they racist against Irish people like they were racist against Chinese people or black people? No. no, yeah, it's a matter of degrees. So were they racist against them? Absolutely. Were they racist like they were racist against Chinese people? Not even close. Yes. Question? Oh, two M's. Huh? Irish or the Union Pacific? Hey, I don't care if you remember which railroad was which. That's easily Googleable, and it's not something that I, in fact, in third hour, I think I might have got it backwards. I know, shame on me, and this is the history that I know really, really well. Um, <laughs> just doesn't matter. So I don't care if you remember the names of it. I don't remember if you, I don't care if you remember that Leland Stanford was the president of one of the railroads. Like, it doesn't. Matt, I think the biggest parallel that you could find there is that he is kind of the Donald Trump of his day, a wealthy guy who had political aspirations. Um, but he built a university instead of, but uh, that's not, that, those are interesting, but they're not the core thing. The core thing is that, look, these immigrants built it. Why did they build it? Why didn't U.S. citizens build it? 
because the immigrants are cheaper and because the U.S. citizens usually wouldn't. They were already established. These guys, though, they're making their fortunes, so it works well. Now, the Irish weren't treated well, but compared to the Chinese, they were treated super well. So you remembered some of this. So tell me some of the things that made it hard for Chinese workers. Yeah, they had the hard part. Coming from the west, they had to go over, over the Sierra Nevada mountains. Or through, because they really couldn't go around. So here, this dude is here. He's blasting through a mountain. It's dangerous. The thing could collapse. Blasting is always dangerous. Like this is, this is dangerous work. What else? Do you remember anything else? Okay, the United States, starting with California and then it spread to a federal thing, passed a series of laws called the Chinese Exclusion Acts where they didn't like Irish people coming over or Italians. They were pretty anti-Italian at the time. Um, they really, really hated the idea of Chinese people coming over and taking over the United States. And so they passed laws to make it extremely difficult. Now, sometimes they wouldn't allow them to come over at all from Asian countries, um, especially from China. At other times, they made it so like you could come over, you could make your fortune, but you weren't allowed to go back home and visit. Or you weren't allowed to bring your family over too. So they, they were what they sounded like, the Chinese Exclusion Acts. Keep them, keep them out. And of course, why, why were they stricter on Chinese people than they were on, say, Irish people? Racism is, a, is an incomplete answer. It's accurate, but what made them more racist against Chinese people? Say it louder, Isabel. Yes, they're more different. They're more different. They look different. Their language is more different. Their culture is more different. That difference, they're more other. Humanities people, you know what that means. Hey, good. Now, Utah itself, which we care about because we're here. So for starters, let's imagine the life that you would live if you lived here in the late 1800s. So first, I need to know where you, you all live. So people from Manaway, just two. Um, Willard or South Willard. Okay, uh, Perry and thereabouts. Uh, Brigham City. Corinne? Nobody, okay. West Corinne? Random out in the county. No. Honeyville. Bear River City. Okay. So this is what it would be like for you. When you were a little kids, you would have gone to the elementary school probably. Understand that compulsory education, that you go to school through, eight, through 12th grade, through the age of 18, 
that's a, a World War II era invention. That's not the way it used to be. So uh, you would go through eighth grade to your kind of neighborhood school, and then you'd probably be done. If you wanted more education, you would have to go to what they called the high school course. So you would go down to the university. Now, how would you get there? You'd take a stagecoach from Brigham City down there. We know it takes an hour to ride to the university because Salt Lake, that's where they'd be going. It takes an hour to ride down there today. On a stagecoach, guess how long? Yeah, like four, four hours. So that would be expensive and you'd have to have somewhere to live. Now, time passes, two changes happen. One is they start having the beginning high school courses in Brigham City High School, but not until the early 1890s. And it's not till 1904 when they do the first class that they graduate from high school. They change Brigham City High School's name to Box Elder High School. Go Bees. We're one of the oldest high schools in the state, by the way. Most people in the state didn't have that luxury. But before that, between the time they finished the railroad and the time they started, they had a high school here for real, they took the train down every day. Is the difference between having all the opportunities that high school opened up for them and, and not having those opportunities. Back then, a high school diploma was worth basically what a college diploma is worth now. So it, it was really valuable for them. But how do you get that railroad built? Well, it's hard. Someone has to think it through and get it done. So that's what we're going to get into now. First, why would the Union Pacific like Utahns, especially those Mormons working for them? Nice and quiet. Nice and quiet. Yeah, so they actually called the other railroad worker camps, they called them hell on wheels because they were rough and they would fight and they would murder each other sometimes. And so they were, they were hard to manage. So when they got here, it's nice for the Union Pacific because um, they behaved themselves. It's also nice for them because Leland Stanford had no intention of ever paying them ever. He committed to pay them and he never did. Yeah. So there you go. Now, why did they help? Why was Brigham Young willing to send his people up to help? So read this quote from him and tell me why they were willing to help. It's two things, really. Good. So missionary work and then get more converts to come in easier. Well, let's face it. They didn't exactly have an easy time crossing these plains. <laughs> so the Transcontinental Railroad makes that work much better. Good. Good, good. Trade. This is going to be good for trade. 
sometimes people are like, oh, the Mormons were afraid, but they actually weren't at all. As a matter of fact, one of their high-ranking people said, no, this will just give a chance for the apostates to leave. They weren't scared of outsiders coming in. They wanted clams and oysters. Just really gross. What role did they play? I haven't totally answered it yet. I should have put six after seven. So what role did they play? So Brigham Young organizes his people into work groups. And they start building the thing. He only wants one thing in return besides, a look, besides money. They, they negotiate salaries. And they do it pretty cheaply. Is They do the routing the way that he wants it to go. We're gonna, tomorrow we're going to look at two cities and how they were impacted, Ogden and Corinth. Ogden became a transportation hub for the entire region. Corinth became, well, Corinth, yeah, became what it is now. It was because of Brigham Young. Brigham Young made a deal to make it do it in exchange for, um, in exchange for labor. He made this deal so that uh, Ogden would be the hub and so that they could economically benefit. Makes sense, right? Ogden, by the way, became super nasty. We'll talk about that tomorrow, too. 25th Street. 25th Street was like the rough, one of the roughest streets in America for a while. Now it has a cold stone on it. It still has some bars. But you can see what I care about, the ice cream. I care about the ice cream store. That is a good cold stone. I like that one. It's true. Right by the Salomon Center. There's also a really great bakery that makes cupcakes, by the way. Oh, see, Liberty's been there. Yes. Have you? Who's been to the cupcake shop there? No, in Ogden, by the Salomon Center, right by 25th Street. Well, you're fired. You're fired. Okay, so why are they willing to help? They're willing to help because they get a benefit for it. So they go and they, and they help build the railroad. It works. The rails come together. Random historical side note. They kept building them like parallel to each other. They kept going. So that they can make more. And finally, the federal government's like, no, stop. Put them together. They have to meet. And they met, and they actually started rail service less than five days later. They just kind of pulled it down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, they just kind of like this. You know, just barely passing, and then they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they use them, they use them to, because for a train to pass another train, they have to have a side track, and so that's what they use it for. So it works really well in the end. Um, so they, they meet, they do the whole spike thing. There's more than one golden spike, by the way. And there's a silver spike, and there's a copper spike, and they, they 
drive them, sort of, and they missed it, but you already knew that bit of it. Um, this painting, I just wanted you to see this. It's in the Capitol. Next time you go to the Capitol, look for it, commemorating Utah's help on the Transcontinental Railroad. Yay. Hey, so how does it change travel? It changes it a lot. For starters, a number of days. How many days did the stagecoach take? Do you remember? 25 at best. At best, it was 25. A first-class journey that went nonstop took four days. A third-class journey, they stopped more, and that was crappier. Like they had to sit on a hard wooden bench, but it's still only 10 days. What's the difference between first class and third class? Yeah, yes, good. It's better. It's better. Let me show you. There's not. No. I don't know. I don't know why. So this is the private car uh, manufactured by the Pullman Company. This is the equivalent of a private plane back then, so you'd rent this just for you if you were super wealthy. If you were Leland Stanford, you wanted to go by yourself, this is, this is how you could go, so pretty fancy. The left is a dining car from the same period. The right is a drawing of a car on the Transcontinental Railroad, a dining car. So you see the first class, they eat really well. They had luxuries. Ice cream was a luxury back in this day. Favorite flavor was oyster. Mm. I don't know. Ask at Coldstone next time you're on 25th Street. <laughs> I hope not. I hope it's not a thing. So you see the difference. So go ahead and answer number uh, nine and eight. And you've got it, and you see why the Transcontinental Railroad mattered. Last thing, last thing, a date. I forgot to put this on here, but make sure you put this on and make sure you know it. 1869 is when the railroad was completed. So that's a really important historic change. If you were a pioneer moving to the West, in fact, they don't consider you a pioneer after 1869 because you could go on the train. Yeah. Yes. It's about a fourth of the price to go by railroad. And yeah. Yeah, at, it's at least twice as fast. And it's way safer. They also built the telegraph line going next to the railroad. Yeah, so they, they can communicate instantly now across the continent. Hey, good. I'm going to give you the rest of the time to work on 4.1.